Welcome to episode 154 of the Gaia to Movies podcast. I am Joe. He is Sean. We are on strike. Well, no, we're not on strike. The actors and writers are on strike. And we are here to talk about it. Sean, how are you? I'm doing great. Um, you know, just living my Saturday life as I turn away from the mic. Great podcasting. <laughs> living your Saturday life. Uh, your future child is the size of the rose from... Beauty and a Beast, is that accurate? That is absolutely my favorite birthing app ever. It's just, you know, we had this other one that, like, compared it to food, and it's like, who cares about that shit? Like, you know, that one's, like, movie props. Like, for, like, a couple of weeks back, uh, you know, he was the size of, uh, or she, excuse me, she was the size of uh, Groucho's must- mustache. And I'm like, this is the great stuff. This is, like, this is exactly what I like to see. Is it weird that that weirds me out? Like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's very strange. Uh, it, it's bothering me more, like, last week, uh, she was the size of uh, Michael Scott's mug. And, um... <laughs> And I'm just like, that's that's a tactile thing. That's like, you know, that, that babe's that's actually, that, yeah, that's pretty like seems bigger than the rose, by the way. I don't know how accurate this uh, app is, but you know, I'm having fun with it. <laughs> you mean the animated rose? <laughs> yeah, mean the animated rose that doesn't exist and causes enchantment of a beast. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. All right. Well, we have a few things we want to get to today. Probably going to be a quicker episode, just because with the strike going on and all that stuff, we. Um, you know, are not getting as much news coming out, which it was is fine. weird that they were announcing things like while the writer strike was happening. I'm like, this stuff is not happening yet. So now with the actor strike, they're absolutely not announcing anything. Which, yeah. you know what? Like at this point, makes sense. This is very pandemic-ish. Uh, what did we talk about during the pandemic? I can't even remember. There were movies still. But... There were. I mean, that's when they shifted to streaming and everything. So we were getting new releases and all that jazz. But we were like, hey, streaming's great. There's no way this will implode or any bubble will pop. <laughs> and here we are on strike over it. <laughs> All right. Well, we do have some upcoming movies to talk about, one of which is the Marvels. It's the next uh, Mar- next MCU movie. Uh, and this, of course, is the return of Captain Marvel starring Brie Lar- Larson, uh, Tiana Paris, uh, and uh, – oh, my gosh. I, I was called Kamala Khan. I was called Kamala Khan. Uh, Ima- 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 yeah. yeah. Um, when I, I looked her up just because I want to highlight – how just amazing she is not and unfortunately there's no more press tour which is something we'll talk about a little bit later but there was an interview that she did with the other two and she's like i'm just so happy to work with these two millennials yeah I that that. Was just, <laughs> she is so freaking funny and she's amazing and first of all you know not even close to a hot take i don't think anymore but i loved miss marvel i think yeah. it's one of like the best uh you know marvel shows out there uh, which is you know not a high bar but um i i and i love her in it so like the discovery of her is just the best yeah i agree uh it's it's wild i remember back when there were the stories with miss marvel about how she was not uh how they were casting her and that she was you know they, they did this wide casting search and there's that video going around where kevin feige on zoom tells her like you're gonna be miss marvel and she <laughs> loses it uh but she's such a delight and i think this trailer continues to bring that as well this movie just to me it looks like a lot of fun i'm someone that enjoyed captain marvel for what it was i we've said this before or i've said it before on the podcast i do think that it was delivered at an improper time and they kind of used her as like you know we're going to introduce her before she plays a big role in endgame um but I, I just really, I do like the character. I think there's a lot that they can do with it. And of course, we get a lot from the background of her, and that's playing in the Secret Invasion right now. Um, and we'll probably be playing into a lot more moving forward. 
but bringing these three together, I think, are great. It's funny seeing Tiana Paris in this after just watching um, They Clone Tyrone. I know, it's very different. I forgot that, that that was the same person. But so different. Of course, I have, like, Tiana Taylor on the mind from 1001. And so, like, for some reason, I just saw the Tiana, and I thought that was her. And then I saw the trailer or the uh, credits of They Clone Tyrone. I'm like, okay, good. That wasn't Tiana Taylor because they look nothing alike. So that makes sense. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this? I mean, it looks like an absolute blast. I, I know, like I've been, I've been personally, and the rest of the world has been a bit down on Marvel lately. And I do hope this one sort of loosens things up, and it is just fun. Like this trailer does have all the typical moves of, you know, wow, tons of effects, and you know, the space battles and stuff. But if you make that entertaining with the people involved, which I'm someone that like, people are just like, wow, Brie Larson's performance was flat in the in uh, Captain Marvel, and. I, I think that was like sort of intentional. I kind of liked that. Where she was just kind of like bothered by having to explain this, the Krees and the scrolls, which I thought was a sort of a hysterical note to that. And so I've, I've always been a fan of Brie Larson, even pre -Mar Captain Marvel. And uh, yeah, Tiana Paris, I mean, that that's the one interesting one because, you know, we've only seen her character in one show and I, you know, it was a great show. So, you know, but I, she wasn't really the central character. So it's interesting to see what she's going to bring to this. But I mean, I think that like they're doing something where they're showing girl power without doing like the boys girls get it done or the the lame avenger scene where it's like don't worry she'll have help. They're not shoving it down our throats. Instead it's just, you know, not not just like girl power the movie, but it's like oh these three characters happen to be girls and they're teaming up and they're just all awesome in their own ways. And yeah. I yeah, like you know, we just want, you know, behind the scenes look, we just watched the trailer beforehand so I'm a little bit high from it right now and I I I I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I keep thinking back to when uh, Captain Marvel first came out and you're right. Everyone thought that her performance was flat. And then the argument there is that it's the writing. It's how the character was supposed to be in the film. <laughs> uh, but then after that, remember, do you remember at one point where they kept saying with Captain Marvel 2, they were going to put her with Tom Holland's Spider-Man to offer like a young side to Captain Marvel and try to loosen up the character? I, and, never, I don't remember hearing that, but this sounds yeah. like that answer. <laughs> well, I was going to say, and now we get Amon Vellani's Miss Marvel in there, who I think is, you know, going to bring a different side. You kind of see it at the end when Tiana Paris's uh, uh, Rambo is looking at Captain Marvel and is basically <laughs> like, are you going to, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I'm, I'm very happy with like just Iman Vellani being in this and just being in everything possible, like get yeah. her involved in so much. She's hysterical and just fun. And she's like, kind of like, you know, they're focusing on, I don't know if she's going to be one of them, but they're focusing on young Avengers and what like Avengers is going to lead to, which is tricky when all of the main characters are gone now. <laughs> so it's yeah. a tricky, uh, tricky wordplay, but uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, if she's the future of this universe, I'm in. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I, I do believe that this is going to be delayed. That's just my my take on this because I mean, yeah. they, you said it before um, that they – I think they're going to want to have her on uh, the – you know, in the press because she is just – she's comedy gold when she's being interviewed. But she's also so lovable. And yeah. I think that's what's going to sell this movie for people that maybe aren't big into the characters uh, or are down on Marvel. Yeah, I mean, she, she like you see her red carpet videos and reactions, which are all just genuine. Like, I don't think any like reaction of hers is fake. And like, and then she also is so comfortable in those situations. Like, yeah. she's freaking out. She's uh, you know starstruck, but then she also like kind of holds her own, which is sort of like yeah, she's a great promoter. Like, I just remember that from the Marvel or uh, excuse me, Miss Marvel. I'm gonna get those confused all the time. Yeah, it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm very very excited for it. Um, but again, I do think it's gonna be delayed, and we'll get into some of the delays that we already know about yeah. coming up very shortly. But let's get into uh, the new Paul Giamatti movie, 
um, with uh, the the holdovers. And I'm this is one that I'm actually really interested in. <laughs> I I thought the trailer was very good. Um, there's I, I can't remember the line. But there's a line where a student's walking away and says something, and he's like, "Son of a bitch" or something like oh, yeah. that. He, his reactions are just so perfect towards like you know an actually genuinely frustrated teacher. Which I mean, I'm not the age of Giamatti, but I'm getting to the attitude of Giamatti as a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Like just straight up miserable, but I, I mean, I love the trailer style of this, which was yeah. they, I normally don't like intentionally retro. I always think that's like trying to like play to some sort of, you know, lame style, but this was so good the way this, this was genuinely a trailer from the nineties or even the eighties and they have the trailer voice. I, I think that might be an AI Don LaFontaine who passed recent or who passed like, you know, a while back, but they have like someone imitating the trailer voice. They like, you know, they have the, they have the, the tone of the trailer go, go soft at one point for emotional status. Like this was what trailers used to be like. And I just yeah. got such a hearkening back to like, Oh man, I love when trailers were like this. And this was just so great for that. He's reteaming with Alexander Payne, who directed this film. Uh, Sideways also was the film that they were in together. There was another one, wasn't there? I, not them together, no. Um, I don't think so, at least. Not off the top of my head. But Sideways was the big one, because that was a huge, huge Paul Giamatti snub for Best Actor. And yeah. so everyone's saying, like, this will be his return. Because Paul Giamatti is someone who, you know, with all due respect to him, takes the paycheck. Like, he, like, you know, he played Rhino in... <laughs> Rhino and Amazing Spider-Man, the like eighth male lead in Jungle Cruise. Yeah. So he is someone that does for some reason, I don't know why, but takes like these pretty terrible roles with all due respect. And, you know, he maybe he just wants to have fun. Maybe I don't know, like, may, or maybe he just, you know, likes to get paid, which also, you know what, do, do your thing, buddy, like right on. But for some reason, this guy like just like takes the crazy roles, but he's coming back to this like era where, you know, we were like, Hey, let's give this guy an Oscar. Cause he came close 2005 with a uh, Cinderella man. He came very close with that one. And that was sort of a makeup nomination for getting snubbed in sideways, which was pretty damn unforgivable if I yeah. really think about it. But now it's like this, I think this is going to be a really solid uh, bat for him. Um, I, I, if we're going to talk about each one of these, we will like, I don't think this is one that could get delayed. Who knows? But this isn't one that's like focusing on a box office hit. So yeah, and it's, and it's, focus, it's focus features, and yeah. it's October twenty fifth. I mean, I think this is one that releasing it around that time is going to play well with holiday crowds. Uh, if there's a holdover for Thanksgiving, yeah. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, if other stuff gets delayed, then the jockeying becomes what stays and like what capitalizes on the fact that there's nothing like these big projects aren't in there. You don't have a Marvel or a Disney dominating. Uh, so what other projects can get out there? I do think we'll see some movies probably move up. Um, yep. Ones, you know, ones that they're not relying on. Yeah, you know what they're going to do? Searchlight's definitely going to burn magazine dreams now. Oh, God, That's yes. definitely going to come out during this time. <laughs> it's going to easily come out, yeah, like right yeah. in October and like, you know, hey, yeah. Oh, no, we can't have him do press. <laughs> oh, no, he can't show up to meetings or anything. Yeah, to events. <laughs> what are we going to do? All right. Well, there's a couple things, a uh, couple movies we're looking forward to the rest of the fall, but there definitely were two movies this summer that had dominated the conversation. Uh, and I'm the only thing that upsets me is that they came out on the same weekend because while it was a lot of fun 
And everyone's like, oh, cinema saved. I'm like, for three days, <laughs> this is, is going to be a problem. <laughs> it's interesting because from a business decision, this is usually what you advise against. You never, never have like two huge movies come at the same time. And, you know, there's obviously spitefulness with WB and Christopher Nolan. Um, you could argue that these are very separate audiences, but they're not for cinephiles because it's Gerwig and Nolan and they have True. to miss. And so for cinephiles, this isn't like, you know, we're seeing both of these this weekend. But I guess for normal humans, you're probably either seeing Barbie or Oppenheimer. And I think that Oppenheimer was never expected to be like, you know, even though it's Nolan, that's the only real draw. There's never expected to be this huge blockbuster. There's a part of me that thinks that it helped these two movies that they came oh, out. I do. I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. It's weird that that's the case. But I mean, I mean, Bob Barbie's obviously trouncing. The entire theater lobby was in pink. Like, yeah. <laughs> like every single human was dressed in pink. When I went to see Oppenheimer, I was like, oh, yeah, nobody's in a top hat with a cigarette hanging out of their mouth. It's kind of cool. It reminded me, um, uh, I compared it to like when Harry Potter first came out and yeah. you would show up to a Harry Potter movie and everyone was in robes and all dressed up or anytime a Star Wars movie comes out. Pirates um, did it as well. Um, Pirates yeah, did yeah. it. It's it's fun to see and it's it's nice to see. I mean, we haven't had that in years, in my yeah. opinion. Well, it used to be the midnight showing culture and now they yes, don't have yes. midnight showings because they just come out on Thursday afternoons. But I, I remember in Pirates, there would be people that, you know, they'd advertise their like actual professional getups of like pirateering and stuff mm -hmm. where they would like, you know, sing songs in the lobby and like strum along things and they'd all be like in head to toe pirate garb. And yeah, you're not going to get that on like on a Thursday night <laughs> anymore. Yeah. yeah. People did do like Mario and Luigi earlier and that hit a billion. So. I, I don't know if I expect Barbie did a billion, but I easily expect it to go way over a hundred million. Um, oh yeah, it's. I mean, they're the upwards. The projections this weekend have been revised to be around one fifty now because they both it's, overperformed their Thursday night showings. Oppenheimer especially, which was a huge surprise because that one is going to be a tough box office draw with the three hours and you know it being yep. a historical biography. Yeah, a historical biography that leaves you on a note of like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. well, I left there being like, that was a sensational film, but we're all going to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but also loved that they left it that way. But we'll get into that. God, yeah. Um, let's first start with Barbie. Margot Robbie, uh, Ryan Gosling. This is uh, written and directed by Greta Gerwig. Noah Baumbach also, Baumbach also uh, directed, or also wrote, not directed. Um, this is definitely a Greta Gerwig movie. Uh, Sean, I had a lot of fun with this. I didn't know what to expect going in, but it was like pink overload. Um, and it's it's stupid humor throughout. Oh, yeah. But it for me, it landed every time they tried something. Um, but it did, it, it, for me, it got a little old after a while. And mm -hmm. I felt like, I, I love the story that they were telling. And I love how they were able to, re, to kind of reframe looking at Barbie uh, and having the conversations that have been had kind of on the fringes of society or Barbie society, if you will, um, over the past couple of decades is like, is this setting unrealistic expectations and what does it mean to be a woman and all that stuff? America Ferreira's like monologue is phenomenal, in my opinion. Um, the, the theater went up clapping when that <laughs> happened, when that was said. Um, but it it's funny because I look at this and I wonder, you know, there were small kids behind me and they're not getting... Uh, the movie's not tailored towards them, in my opinion. I don't know that the marketing, I, I, the marketing made it seem very fun, and I think attracted some older audiences because of the way that they were just leaning in and being ridiculous. Uh, but Barbie, in and of itself, being a kid's toy, an iconic kid's toy, is going to draw children, and I don't think this is for them. So I kind of struggled with that a little bit because I didn't know, like, I, I felt like I didn't, it, it didn't know where it wanted to go or where what it wanted to be. Um, and 
that's I guess that's that's false. It did know what it wanted to be, yeah. but it wasn't it, it wasn't clear at the outset where it was going, like who it was targeted to. Yeah. I I also think this was one of those movies where like so much stuff was in the previews that I was getting annoyed. Yeah, I this, this is a tricky one for me because that is an interesting take, and I I always liken back to like Inside Out. Where I'm like, how could this have been possibly for kids? Like, I'm the one crying in the theater and moved to tears and everything. Well, the kids are getting something different from it. They're getting a more simple message. Like, they're getting an it's okay to be sad. While I'm, like, getting the, hey, that's a metaphor to, for depression when the entire mind seizes up. And I think that, like, you know, as you grow, you may understand more of that. But you'll get, like, a very, very straight line message. And I think that's where Barbie does kind of deliver. Because... Where this delivers is the silly humor gets the kid gets the little kids going. Yeah. Then there's like some adult humor that will like be just for us. And I it's interesting because then like the the main sort of feminist message, which is an interesting one by the way, that doesn't like go radical feminist, which I you know I appreciate. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm fairly radical when it comes to politics, but I do like something that you know tr tries to bridge a gap, and I think this one does a great job at that. And mm -hmm. Um, I guess Barbie is just a very complicated toy in general, because obviously, as you said, the unrealistic beauty standards of it. And, you know, they've listened to about a million podcasts about it this, this week. And um, but at the same time, I think that the movie was just as complicated with what they were trying to do. And mm. I think that, you know, yes, they did include like the main character is the stereotypical Barbie, which is Margot Robbie, which shout out to the narrator for like, you know, causing that one little line where it says, yeah, well, what are they actually talking about? But I think there was like some truth to that where, you know, you can't stand up to just like that unrealistic expectation. And uh, I, it, this one left me very confused. I think I, I docked it for, I loved America Ferreira's monologue and I did like her character, but they didn't give her enough foundation to have that emotional moment. Where, you know, we meet her halfway through and that was meant for a reveal, which was a great reveal. But I, I think that like, you know, they wanted her to have this emotional arc, but they didn't really start that properly. And so it was very, she, very simplistic with like the relationship yeah. with her daughter and like yeah. you're, you're just supposed to, you know, feel for it, her then. Yeah, it didn't feel it didn't feel earned. The monologue is great. And like there's a few monologues in here that are really great. And I love the payoff with Rhea Perlman, which I won't say here, but I sort of knew that was what it was going to be. But yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I was worried Will Ferrell would annoy me. He didn't. He, he, so can we yeah. talk about that real quick? No, no, Will Ferrell yeah. is Will Ferrelling in this movie. Oh yeah. Like it's the dumbest shit in the world. And it <laughs> all was 1000% effective. Like everything he said to me was, I was cracking up. Like, oh, there's yeah. the, one, the one scene where he comes out of the dream house or whatever. And he turns and he sees pregnant Barbie and he's like, oh, <laughs> Mitch. <laughs> oh yeah, Mitch, totally disconnect, uh, discontinued you. <laughs> It's like, and then there's just like the simple comedy scenes where you know you know the the way to enter Barbie Land is through rollerblades. So then you see all of the CEO executives rollerblading <laughs> yeah. at the same time, and just that visual his, is hysterical. And sometimes Will Ferrell can, only needs to rely on that visual, and yeah. he's funny. Like you sometimes just see him dead serious, and you start laughing. And so yeah. his visual of like <laughs> rollerblading with like eight other people in suits was so well done. And yeah, this, this is visually like exceptional like in the craziness of it um you really have to for those who haven't seen it really crack open your mind and have an open mind here because you're gonna start this movie and you're gonna be like what am i sitting through because I, I saw this with my mom and she was 
dead silent for the first 15, 20 minutes. And then she finally bought into it and started laughing along with everything. So she did eventually enjoy it. But <laughs> at first she was, I, I I was like, oh my God, she's going to leave. Like, this, this is, <laughs> she, she loves like a classy movie, a classy movie straight down the middle. This was not that. And yeah. it was very funny, very hysterical. Um, I love how it tackled buzzwords that we always use. Just Ken saying patriarchy a bunch of times was really funny. And Ryan Gosling in this is back to his comedic performance roots. Um, Margot Robbie, does a great job with this because she is just playing Barbie at first, but then her like, you know, discovery and her existential crisis she has and everything you, you buy into like, Oh yeah, she is a toy learning to live. And yeah. it's weird that that's like something you can buy into and she's able to sell. And finally, I think uh, Kate McKinnon was kind of brilliant. Um, I loved her in this. Um, like she has the weird Kate McKinnon, like uh, Kate McKinnon is a brilliant comedic actress. She has not broken into movies in the best way. And I don't know what why that has been. Like, I just don't think she has gotten the right roles or anything. I don't know. But in this, she puts her dry humor and delivery so well as the the, the Barbie that was played with two hearts. She was written in a very balanced way. I think yeah. typically when they throw her into a role, you know, thinking about Ghostbusters, for instance, mm -hmm. they throw her into the full comedy role and she's the comedic relief. And I, they didn't do that here, and I really enjoyed that. She actually was kind of the, you know, the 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 cornerstone of the story in a lot of ways, like helping Barbies realize where they needed to go, what they needed to do. I also loved Issa Rae in this oh, um, as the president. Good. She was yeah. just solid, and when she has that one, uh, that so, one drop. Okay. <laughs> what I, I, I so slight spoiler with this one drop. Was it bleeped in your screening? Yes. Okay, I'm trying to figure out because I, I heard there was going to be an F word in the Barbie movie. It had the Mattel thing over it. It had the Mattel thing over it. Okay, so that that was, by the way, funnier, I thought. Like, uh, know, yeah. that, that was that worked way better. Um, but I just yeah. I was expecting an F bomb the entire time because, like, that's what they said in the like, literally, like, the news was saying there will be an F word in the Barbie movie. So I wonder if when that news came out, Mattel like stepped in or something. I'm not sure how that worked, but regardless, the that was a way funnier yeah. move there. And Issa Rae is just kind of like this, like, and I'm going to compare her to our next movie, Matt Damon in Oppenheimer, where mm. a utility player that does not stand out, but it's just so good. Yep. And yep. in this movie, we have a certain brainwashing scene where, you know what? They make fun of men and they make fun of men a lot. And as a straight over masculine man, sometimes it was so fucking funny. Like there, oh, like yeah. the God, the Godfather scene was so funny. Where <laughs> like, I like I uh, I was just like kind of like doubled over and like because I'm just like oh God that's me. Like I talked throughout all of Goodfellas showing it to Sam. Like the, like this is 100 what I am. There's nothing that they said in this movie or joked about in this movie that I thought was wrong. Like it all is very accurate, <laughs> and that's part of what I enjoyed. The jokes and stuff. I maybe oh my God I'm turning into a conservative, but the parts that concern me not concern me but i can see where families struggle a little bit right because you get it in the preview with the whole like my job is beach i'm going to beat you off no i'm going to beat yeah. you off nobody's going to beat you off um and then later on there's like you know like margot robbie's dropping like we don't have vaginas and penises yeah and then you know the very last line is a reference to the gynecologist and you know <laughs> which is really funny but there's just like certain aspects that i i i struggle with because i uh, it, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how to put it in the words. It just feels oh. like it's a little. They're a little challenged in trying to figure out who their audience is, and I think that when you put a project out there that's based on something that kids love, you need to make it very clear that it is not for kids, or it's an elevated, 
you know, kids film that's going to appeal to the masses. But also, I mean, counterpoint to what I'm saying here, Shrek, you know. so That's what I'm going to say is that we look at, like, even older animated movies and shows, even sometimes, like, Disney animated yeah. movies and shows. They throw those innuendos in there that are for the adults. They laugh. And maybe some kids will get it, but a lot of kids, it'll just kind of fly right over the head. So, I, you know, I, I, I agree it's pretty tricky, but hopefully, and I think this is the case, most parents are pretty smart and they like look at a rating and maybe they look at the IMD, IMDb, uh, like, you know, parents guide thing, which does unfortunately spoil the movie, but does like a good job of breaking down like, hey, why is this rated PG-13? They include the scenes there. So I think that most parents are that smart. There are still parents that like, you know, take a kid to the movie Sausage Party and say, oh, it's animated. <laughs> so oh my God. there's still those morons that just kind of like don't think at all. But I think most people are 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 fairly smart and are fairly cautious with this. Yeah. I ended up with a four out of five on this. I, I did really enjoy it. Um there's you know, would I rewatch it again? Probably okay. actually. I would probably it's have fun. Enough. Um but you know it's I think they did a really good job with what they were working with. I don't think they could have gone any other way, honestly. All the criticism criticism aside, I think Gerwig cracked this egg really well. Um and it's it's very impressive rating. Yeah, I gave I gave it a B. Um, and I it, so the same basically same grade. And I my whole thing with it, um, my real issue with it is um oh shoot, what was it? What, I mean the America Ferrera character was tough, like that that's why I already said before. And I'll say, you know, we're about to talk about a three-hour movie, and the three-hour movie went faster than the two-hour movie yeah. of Barbie. Yeah. And that I mean, that's more testament to Oppenheimer. Congratulations. And to compare these two, it's obviously the like very silly, but yeah. um this had a rocky pace towards the end. Then again, I don't know what you take out. Um, yeah. I just, I, I, I think the thing is, I didn't know where it was going. And that's a good thing. But also, yeah. you know, as a film fan or as a like film critic, I get frustrated because I'm like, what are the acts? Like, I didn't know where the third act was. So I can't really say third act problems. Well, it really, it really did hurt, like hit some mud, right? Like when they're, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the whole conversation in the cul-de-sac after the Ken fight. Yeah. Like that felt like it just went on and on and on. And while I loved Will Ferrell, he was a very pointless character in this, ultimately. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think that, it, <laughs> I'm wondering like, was he there for the sake of Mattel or in spite of Mattel? I don't know. <laughs> well, apparently, don't apparently know. Mattel was involved. Like they were. Oh, yeah, they were. They, they produced. So yeah, they, they, they were cool produced and all that shit. Um, I was reading today or this morning that there was a the scene where Margot Robbie is sitting at the bus stop and she's trying to figure out what to do and she's crying and she turns mm -hmm. to the older woman and says like "You're beautiful" and the woman goes "Honey, I know" or something like that. Great, great Ma scene. Uh, the the studio wanted that removed. That's a weird one. Of all and the shit that they do with that, that's, that's what I said. Weird, because I thought that was such a nice like this. That that tells you where the rest of the movie is going to go. It's about like beauty. It, it's different standards of beauty, different levels of beauty. Mattel. Like I don't like. Well, I said the studio, not Mattel. Oh, 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 oh. So Warner Brothers. So yeah. that might have been like a cut for time thing. But and that's the thing. Like I don't, I don't. This felt a little bit too long. But I don't know what you cut. I think you're right. The cul-de-sac. But I, I liked. Everywhere that went, including America Ferrer, talking about the ordinary Barbie, and it's, it's a terrible idea. It's like, no, to make money. It's like, oh, okay, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved that. Like, so that yeah. that, that does work. Um, but yeah, there, there were they they did. I think you're right. The cold that conversation. I don't know how you cut it, but you do have to cut it a little bit. Did you catch the gay Barbies? So I heard about this beforehand that there was called a they called him magical earring Ken. 
Yep. And um, and so that was technically considered a gay uh part. And Sugar Daddy Ken, I'd never heard of him, but that's well. And Sugar Daddy Ken is supposedly dad. He's the dad to the dog that's named Sugar. Um, but yeah, they're they're the gay Kens. Uh, apparently, the one, the uh, earring Ken or whatever, was very big. I want to say 1993 stuck in my head, but in the 90s, well, it was like so obviously queer coded, and people didn't realize that. And you know, it's interesting. Did Mattel <laughs> like? I don't know if Mattel knew what they were like. You know, like <laughs> yes, they did. They were in the 90s where these shows and toys and everything Except were trying to be very stupid, though. <laughs> nah, but you I mean, know. did anyone think Megan will be a queer icon? Like, I still don't think so. <laughs> uh, whatever gays were working on that, yeah. <laughs> they were like, yeah. The costume designers were just like, no, we know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leave us alone, please. <laughs> Let's dive into the complete opposite of Barbie. And this is Oppenheimer, the three-hour Christopher Nolan film about J. Robert Oppenheimer and the creation of the atomic bomb. Um, listen, I, I could talk about this forever, and we're probably going to talk pretty good about it, but... I loved this movie. I I walked out of this and my first thought in my head was, oh my God, that's Christopher Nolan's masterpiece. And then I was like, whoa, 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 stop it, stop it, stop it. And then I was talking with a friend and all I kept coming back to was the performances. Mm-hmm. Every performance in this movie. Remember, it's Sean, we jokingly made fun of this movie the cast for, how, yeah. the cast, for how long, every week there was like, oh, this person, that person, whatever. Every single actor in this movie from josh hartnett to cillian murphy Killian murphy to you know emily blunt uh to florence Pugh, they all brought their a game and it was just wonderful to watch and i'm leaving out robert downey jr because we're probably going to talk about him a little bit um but this was and it's a very clear three-act movie talking about identifying the acts you have (laughs) You know, the life of Oppenheimer up until he gets recruited for the Manhattan Project. You get the Manhattan Project, and then you get the aftermath. And I just loved that structure. Um, and I, like you said, it moved very quickly. I was enthralled every minute. Yeah. And it, it, you know what you're getting into with the story in terms of, like, what the focus is going to be ultimately. Because it's about the creation of the atomic bomb. And we know that the bomb is ultimately dropped uh, in Japan twice. What what this film does really well is it takes that like moral questioning and builds it up with Oppenheimer throughout the movie by the, to the point where like by the third act, you're like, Whoa, Whoa. Like what's what, look at the implications of this. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think there's a very interesting parallel right now to artificial intelligence yeah. and how artificial intelligence can then be weaponized or used depending on, you know, what hands it falls into. It's not necessarily always about the product, but it's about who's managing the product. Um, well, and the best way just to like quickly go in there, because artificial intelligence, like the creators of artificial intelligence want to shut it down right now. Yep. They yep. want to shut it down so that we could figure out a way to like, you know, actually like monitor this. And I think that, that was exactly what uh, Oppenheimer wanted. And <laughs> no one listened to him. Like, no one was listening to him. Um, yeah. I just, I, I absolutely love this movie. And I was, you know, this, I was like, I don't know, going into it. Tenet wasn't great. Christopher Nolan isn't always my favorite. Inception was my favorite Christopher Nolan film going into this. I will tell you right now, Oppenheimer is my favorite Christopher Nolan film because I think it's just spectacular. Yeah. I'm, I'm letting the recency bias settle for a little while, but I have no issues with that. I mean, you know, obviously there's just something about the dark Knight that just, I can't like get out of my craw. Which, so can I, say, can I say I always separate out those three movies from Nolan for some reason? Because I'm like... No, I actually understand. Yeah, that's a different... Got it. Great. Wonderful. 
you know, yeah. but like the rest of Nolan, when he's not on, when he's doing Nolan, right. And when he's not stuck under, not saying that they had heavy influence, but he was working with former IP with already established yeah. IP. Um, I, I just, yeah, I, this movie dude. I mean, I like this, what this movie does basically to capitalize on what you were saying is you're in the cockpit with the main character. You're in his mentality. You're in his space. You're in him when he's at his worst and then he's never really at his best, but you're in yeah. him when he starts to like question the morals of what he's doing. And you get that anxiety from him to be able to be put into like right into the psyche of the main characters for the, like the writing makes that exceptional. The uh, performance makes is like part of that. And you know, the direction has to be exceptional. He does all of those. I mean, you know, we all know what happened when they tested the bomb. Right. I, I was, I, I almost swallowed my tongue during that scene. I was terrified. And, well, and the, the absence of sound during that scene too. Oh God. It's like you're on edge waiting. Yeah. And like the, like the moment the sound goes off there doing that. And then let's just talk about it right now. Cause I'm, I'm going to be, this will be my Oscar column this week. Um, I'm just going to be talking about Barbenheimer at the Oscars, like just both of them. And I mean, let's face it, like the sound is amazing. Visual effects are amazing, but hey, we got Ludwig's score, man. That is just sensational. And yeah. he's doing the Hans Zimmer where like, you know, just like the, the violin. <laughs> and, but you are just like, like everyone, you know, Safi's putting on suntan lotion. I scared my dog. Um, Safi's putting on suntan lotion. You see people just like wondering like, are we going to be okay? I mean, David Crummels was amazing in this too. Um, oh, I loved it. I, I, I saw him in the trailer. And I didn't recognize him because he is someone that does like kind of like a, at a Jonah Hill level fluctuate with his weight a lot, but he like was really good in this. Um, I did yeah. deal with a few people in this. Like, like when Josh Hartnett first walked up, I was like, oh, oh, he looks, he looks familiar. Who is that? And then I finally turned to my buddy and was like, oh, that's Josh Hartnett. And the makeup in this is stupendous. Not like, whoever like who turns out to be Truman, which did you catch you that? Well, I won't say, cause that was a good surprise. No. Oh my God. Okay. Hey, fast forward ahead. 15 seconds. Gary Oldman is uh, Harry Truman. No shit. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, 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 I should look it up actually. Um, I was but, trying uh, to figure that out. I, well, I, I, yeah, they, 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 they played with you. Cause you know, they didn't say that one of all the people. And then I looked way into it and I was like, yeah, it's Gary Oldman. Yeah. It's kind of a bonkers move. Yeah. So, <laughs> So the makeup of this is fantastic, but even the most subtle of makeup, which we'll just go right into this now, Robert Downey Jr.'s makeup was really, really good. And, you know, you know it's him. He's not in complete disguise, but they did, you know, shoomer him up a little bit. Um, they, like, <laughs> he's got a very they, – they definitely, like, took a picture of Chuck Schumer, like, do this. <laughs> so um, I – but uh, let's just talk about his performance because his – I can't say the best because I think Killian Murphy, like this movie doesn't work without Killian Murphy. I don't think even as great as Nolan is, I think Killian Murphy is, is this movie. And so, great. but Robert Downey Jr. is like a very, very close second in that he is kind of amazing in this where absolutely you know, slow. It's a slow burn with him. He's not involved in this almost at all. He's in the black and white scenes and he's just a schmarmy politician. You sort of feel like he is the whole time anyway, and then you really get, like, you know, a dislikability from him. And every, like, event that occurs through him, he he sort of just maintains that politician move. And, you know, it like, where he doesn't completely explode. He just, like, he's slowly like, oh, shit, oh, shit. He has an occasional outburst, but nothing huge. Like, but, like, you you get that, like, fragility in him which is just like 
so good. And you don't see that with, you know, this is the guy that played Tony Stark where, yeah, obviously he has some insecurities, but he's also supposed to be a confident prick. And in this, he has that prick nature, but you know, his entire character is based off getting made fun of once. And like, yeah, but you also, you also see a lot of nonverbals with him, you know, and I like, it's not only when he's being made fun of, so to speak in that, uh, uh, the hearing, but also, you know, when he's, when they're at the, the table at that restaurant, um, they keep like going back to that. You see, he'll say something, Oppenheimer responds and he just kind of looks at him. Uh, and there's a lot of that, that's again, sil- use of silence um, and not having dialogue that I think advances a lot of each of these characters. And that also goes for at the, you know, spoiler a little bit, but towards the end when, you know, his whole gig is revealed, like what's really going on. You kind of see, you're talking about fragility, you see it kind of in his face. Like, yeah. it's like, you know, I'm doing the right thing, I'm doing the right thing, but fuck, or am I not going to be confirmed? You know, like, what's going on here? Um, and Alden Ehrenreich was excellent in his role, by the way. That was, was Alden Ehrenreich. Yes. Fuck all, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I was wondering <laughs> who that was. Dude, it was Alden they Ehrenreich. really disguised a lot of actors in this, by the way. Like with, I mean, I'm telling you, it's not like hardcore makeup either. It is the most subtle of makeup too. Like, like this, this won't, I I don't think something like this could get a best makeup because you know, best makeup in the Oscars means most makeup. And not like, (laughs) so like, I don't, oh God, it's so good though. (laughs) It's really good. Yeah. Um, Damn it, dude. I can't believe I missed that. Oh, that's great. (laughs) That's great. Um, he was doing. He had a great part too. He he was just like the innocent that's seeing the light finally, and oh. and this was very much like you know, what, is it in theater that they say no small parts? And that's exactly how I felt about this movie. That everyone, no matter what role they played, and for actually, also Benny Safdie, by the way, um, played a, he played a pretty important role. Like that was yeah. pretty solid. Uh, but and even with Emily Blunt's character, like she started at first, I was a little nervous about it because I was like, "Oh, what are they doing with her?" But no then you one making of, females, he does not do well with that. <laughs> but but I think like you know, this is also someone that's based on a true person, yeah. and you you see how a lot of this is a slow burn, no pun intended, with like you know, mm-hmm. lighting bombs on fire. But they or lighting bombs. Uh, but the, she really comes into play near the end, and there's that one scene where a lot of people are calling it out online, where Benny Safdie's uh, character walks up to shake her hand oh. and she doesn't shake it. And that is such a like, yeah, get it moment. <laughs> she is such an interesting character. Cause like, obviously, like I just said, Nolan female characters very seldom mix. This is the best female character written by Nolan, not a high bar, but also a great strong character by the end. Yeah. She's never like put upon in the beginning or anything, but she kind of maintains this strength. And in the end, she has like that moment in the questioning that is just amazing. And so it's weird to say this and, and I, I don't know what to think about this, but I see I see a best actor, I see a best supporting actor, and I see a best supporting actress in Blonde. I agree with you. I, I, I agree with and that, that's, that's bonkers for, first of all, a Nolan movie who has only gotten one performance nomination, but it was a win, and it was Ledger. But So that it wasn't really assisted by the Nolan movie. It was assisted by the fact that Ledger was God. But <laughs> I, uh, I, I can't see those three not getting nominated. And I, they're, they're really really good and you know you go back to like like you said no small parts i mean jason clark is in this tony goldwyn is in this that that those scenes are so good and i gotta just like i'm i'm getting nitpicky now with it but the editing oh absolutely i mean did you think you were in trouble in the beginning where you almost felt like sick with how many scenes they went back and forth for a little bit well it was going it was going very fast and it's funny because there's a lot of comparisons to the social network with how the social network just moved and i can see that 
But once you get comfortable with that pace, or once you get established, it also slows down a little bit in yeah, terms of finally, like finally, like it focuses on one scene or another scene. Yeah, but, but I, but I also liked that. It was like, hey, let's give you the history real quick. We're not going to like beat you over the head with it for an hour and a half. Uh, but here it is, and let's get to the important stuff. And I thought that was really great, and especially with like you know Nolan, where I think sometimes his obsession with time gets in the way of his movies. I think Dunkirk is a spectacular movie, but it's not told linearly, and that's yeah. very frustrating to me. Like, because yeah. <laughs> that's a movie that needs to be told linearly. This is not told linearly, but mm-hmm. like every little aspect of it is proper to its fitting. Every moment is done the right way, like through the themes throughout. Like, yes, it's told somewhat out of order, basically in flashback form. Not exactly, though, because there's basically two flashbacks happening. Yeah. But it's proper in its tone for what this character is built up to be, which is like a spectacular character. I was very surprised at the credits to see just Nolan wrote this, which I have not been the biggest fan of Nolan's writing. And this is definitely his best screenplay. It's his best. It's his and best like, by far. Really good. Like just the story structure alone was fantastic. I mean, I, I mean, this is my, my favorite of the year easily. I mean, you know, and here. I was like, wow, past lives isn't going to get a, <laughs> like, Oh no, <laughs> past lives got a quick bump to number two. Yeah. Man. Oh man. Is this good. <laughs> not only is the story writing great, it's the character development. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I mentioned earlier that like your, your moral compass is kind of like, you know, being challenged and the level of that uh, consternation is rising as the movie goes on. But you also see that with the character himself, with Oppenheimer, you know, like he strings you along in the story to make you love, like really enjoy Oppenheimer and really like him and respect him. But then also, oh, he's a philanderer and he's kind of crazy and like, what's going on? He's a shithead, yeah. Yeah, he's a shithead. (laughs) So you're like going back and forth with this and then he doesn't give a straight answer on anything, but he's supportive of like, you know, researching the H-bomb, but won't commit to the H-bomb. And like, it's just, it's masterful writing, in my opinion, and I never thought I would say that about this movie, nor a Nolan movie. Although I think, like the fact that he pulled off Inception back in the day, which yeah. is a very confusing movie. I should admit, he he is still a very talented writer, but I, I think I'm just like we were both soured on Tenet. I think. Oh, absolutely, and, and we both weren't big on Oppenheimer because we were like, how many people can you put in one movie? And I think. For me, I think that's like the crowning achievement of this is that I was like, there's no way you're going to balance all these people. And then again, I, I left the movie. And to this day, I saw it on what, Tuesday? So we're recording four days later, five days later. I'm like, they, every performance was phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Every, per, even, you mentioned Matt Damon when we were talking about Barbie. Matt Damon is very, very good in this movie. Um, and, but he's, he plays the role that he was assigned very well, right? He's not, he doesn't overshadow anyone. He's kind of the, you know, the, the military, um, military lead of the Manhattan project, essentially the coordinator, if you will. Um, and I think he has some very good scenes. I think there's some really good one-on-ones he has with Killian Murphy, especially after, uh, Casey Affleck's character comes into the picture and they're on the train talking about it. Like it's just had the potential for disaster, by the way, that was the one moment I'm like, are you losing us? You're losing us a little bit. Nope. But that, that comes right back in. And everything is that <laughs> but I was I was like, I was like, Nolan, come on. <laughs> Where you going, like buddy? Two hours, buddy. Like, <laughs> you're losing me a little here, but it worked. It absolutely worked. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it's so tricky with Damon because he's really good. He's just like, you know, he, he just he's utility man. And he yeah. just comes in there and he's giving you exactly what you need there. Yeah. I mean, he plays basically the straight man of all these kooky scientists. He's the one military guy that's trying to keep things, you know, under wraps. And, oh, man. Um, I mean, it's it's just so, like, I already said it. Like, it's suspenseful 
when you oh, know yeah. what's going to happen. They're raising the bomb up and they're taking the tape off and they're inserting things. You, first of all, don't know what any of that stuff means. You don't know what really what any of that stuff is going to do. You just know that, oh, they have a bomb up there and they're like, they're very carefully like utilizing that and carefully placing this bomb together. Yeah, you're not sure what all that's about, but you're like, I think this means they could all die in a second. <laughs> let's hear, let's hear for masking tape, though. You know, like, come on, <laughs> just really. always a, um, you know, not reliable with garden hoses, uh, as I learned as a homeowner. That didn't work out very well at all. Just get a new hose. Duct tape. Um, just get duct tape. Duct tape I, works. I just want to say, like, you know, hey, math teacher movies. As a math teacher who teaches calculus, there are very, there are some moments where theory and reality just bump heads in mathematics, and. Boy, did I get a stiffy from the moment where he's just like, you know, like it's like 0%, uh, there's 0% versus zero. And he's like, what do you want from theory alone? You're right. You cannot say through theory alone, you cannot say 0% certainty. Like you can only say near zero. And I just love that. And I, I you know, I, I, I can't like show this whole movie to my students, but I do want to should just show that scene where it's just like, that's, that's near theory right there. Like that's, that's where theory and reality break apart. You have to eventually experiment and, God damn, this movie ruled, dude. <laughs> Sean, I have yet to see your review, but I'm assuming it's an A. It, it's oh yeah, it, it's an A. I'm I'm still working on it. Um, my lovely wife, my lovely lovely wife, who I love so much, is having guests later, and so I had to clean all morning. So I'm like breaking down boxes in a hot garage this morning, like trying. And I, all I wanted to do was sit down and write my review. So I'm like, love my wife. fantastic. But I was. I was a little bit furious because I'm like, I'm like, I'm down to Tony Goldwood's performance on slide 25. I'm like, okay, how am I going to edit this thing down? <laughs> yeah, it's it was so funny because when I was writing the review, it's one of my longest reviews I've written, and I was like, I could keep going about this on and on and on. Oh yeah. Um, wait, so you go ahead. Can we talk about the JFK comparisons? Is it just like big cast? Is that the only thing, or big big cast and historical? Yeah, uh, you know, that's it. Because I, I go on record and everybody hates me for this. I fucking hate JFK. <laughs> like, yeah. Not the president, the movie. Um, <laughs> like, I do not like that movie, JFK. I think it's like very uneven and not that great. And I guess if they're talking about the cast and everything humming along, like that was something that like kept on hitting me in the face. It's the cast and it's Oliver Stone. You know, it's the fact that it, yeah. like JFK is one of Oliver Stone's best known movies. Yeah. Um, and I think there, that's where the, a lot of, that's where the comparison also came in for me is like, this is Nolan's Oliver's, uh, Nolan's uh, JFK. <laughs> I, I could see that sort of like this, yeah. is, but this, this is magnum opus. This is him. Like, I, I truly don't think, and everyone always says he made, I don't think Nolan gives a flying fuck about Oscars, but this is him going for it. If, if there was ever evidence that he cared about it, it's right here. Like I will say right now, episode 154, <laughs> this movie's getting Oscars. I don't know where it's getting Oscars. I think I think you're pretty much right. I mean, like I, I'm gonna really, really dissect this because I could I could make an argument for almost every technical except for like I don't know fucking song. <laughs> like, yeah, true. But uh, it's just Ken is gonna be in the running. <laughs> it'll be all of the Barbie songs, but all the Barbie songs. Oh my god, that soundtrack by the way is a banger when you're it's in the a car. Great <laughs> I'm driving to the beach later, and I'm like, we'll be listening to Barbie. All right, so wait, let me get this straight. So Barbie, we both agreed on in terms of our rating. And, and Oppenheimer, we both agreed on. And we're both saying it's our favorite movie of the year. I mean, I favorite movie of the year, I'm casually saying. Don't go back on that. You said that. I did say it. I mean, I, w when I make my top 10 list, I, I have about like 20 films in mind. Then I get really, really drunk. And then I uh, just go with my emotions. And so, Sean, we not only survived Oppenheimer weekend or Barbenheimer weekend, but we agreed. 
that is very rare. I was That's weird by that. Like that, you know, I mean, I I expect I expected like uh, Oppenheimer more than you, like a three hour like you know fucking cinema school thing like that with his, no, like, that's, his own. No, that's like my shit. When it's history like that, give it all to me. I will sit there for five hours. <laughs> I mean, I, that's what I thought about when I'm like, hey, I've been in this theater for a while, but like if this were a series, which is a stupid thing to always argue, but like I would watch all ten episodes right away. And Absolutely. So, but like as a movie, this worked way better. Don't make this a series, please. But like as a movie, this worked perfectly. Oh man. I was at the screening that I was at was a lot of it was a lot of press and then they opened it up for like some of the promotional stuff and those that like go on you know when you go online and you can get a ticket but you're not guaranteed admission. Mm-hmm. They turned away like 150 people. It was nuts. And the best though was at the end of the movie. At first so the the last scene, which is a flashback to previously in in the movie with Albert Einstein and Oppenheimer talking, um, was just I, I I don't even have words for it, well, but it was that's how so you end chilling. a movie like this, where there there was a scientist that went too far, and there was a scientist that started this whole thing. Yeah, and you like have those two talk about it and reflect upon themselves, and I think yeah. that's like like it's it's the most humble way to end it, but it is the most impactful. Like the the amount of brain power in that conversation between those two people was just like insane, and they know like oh yeah we're fucked. <laughs> when the theater um when the movie ended, people were like. Like very slow. <laughs> I, it's so tricky because you know, obviously, the applause in the theater is usually a pretty like you know dumb thing and stuff. But I, you know, my dad laid out a couple of applause, uh, like a couple of claps in there, and I was just like, oh, "Fuck it!" <laughs> I just started. So your dad did. Your dad did like it. Oh, he loved it. Yeah, okay. I was like, I I'm a little bit bummed out because my mom did like the Barbie movie as well. Um, she agrees with me probably about a B. Um, but I wish she saw Oppenheimer. Also, because right. that, like she would, she's gonna love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, well, hey, good weekend at the movies. Let's hope that it continues with uh, other releases that are coming out. I think horror wise, it will next week. But well, we got to uh, now talk to me in theater camp. The new, uh, the new Barbenheimer next week um, and Haunt- Haunted Mansion. Oh, geez, Haunted Mansion. Yeah, so actually, it's gonna work out for me. I think because Wednesday has um, uh, theater camp. Theater camp. Oh no, no. There's a screening for Talk to Me on Wednesday. And then oh, Haunted Mansion on Thursday. And then I think Theater Camp on Friday for me. <laughs> Talk to me needs to be your priority. So definitely see that first. I've... <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> no, I, I just, it's an A24 film. It's oh, no, hard. I, and it's I agree. That is, of the three, like, I mean, a Haunted Mansion, I know you loved it. I don't know what I'm going to feel. No, like I didn't say I loved it. I did oh, not really? say I loved it. I thought, well, I thought, oh. <laughs> I was positive on it. I will, I mean, I the embargo hasn't lifted, but, oh. you know, I, I did, I, there's a lot that I liked. I said in the social uh, reaction that the first act is, I really was worried and then it pulls itself together. Um, uh, But I didn't, it's not one that I loved. (laughs) Good. good, Okay. Good to know. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's what I expected. It's better than I expected in a lot of ways, but we'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll we'll do yeah next week, but yeah, I'll have both of those in the pocket though. Hopefully. Yeah. I did nothing catastrophic happens, but (laughs) nice, nice, nice. All right. Let's get into uh, movie news. We don't have much to talk about here. We are in uh, back in the movie delay business here, so we'll be reporting on that probably every week. Um, it came out earlier this week that Warner Brothers especially was considering delaying a few of their films. Blue Beetle apparently was on the table to, they were talking about whether or not to move that to 2024. They've reportedly decided against it. Uh, the big one right now is that Dune Part 2 um, is rumored to be on the move. Uh, while uh, The Color Purple and Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom are also being considered. Um, I don't think Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom exist, but um, just putting that out there. 
Um, we also have Challengers with Zendaya uh, that has been pushed to 2024 already, and then A24 has pulled A24, yeah, has pulled Problemista uh, from yeah. from the August release, and they're pushing that back as well. So part of the, I mean, a lot of this has to do with just promotion, and the big one with um, with challengers is that it was supposed to premiere at the venice film festival and it had to pull out of that as well because they're not going to have and you talked about this a little bit last week sean with zendaya and the way that she uh promotes her films and sort of the the value that she adds there but these big films that you know are probably ride or dies for this year for a lot of the studios um are not going to have that star power to promote them so they're waiting until they do yeah and um it makes sense. I mean, I, I'd rather them just like, I don't know, pay their writers and, you know, like maybe, maybe come to the table and come for like, a, like I'd rather them do that, but I get why studios are doing this. Cause you know, the, the, like these are huge projects for them, um, money projects and everything. It's interesting. Like, you know, the Marvels hasn't been announced yet of uh, that, but I think there's going to be a lot of people that follow suit. I think the first movie needed to jump and with challengers and problemista both doing that, I think that a lot more are going to end up jumping. Um, yeah, it's 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 upsetting. It's disappointing. Um, it's interesting that the color purple is doing that because Netflix doesn't really have to worry about box office. Yes, they have to technically be in like you know so many markets of theaters, and I guess that like you know is some money, and so they want to see some of that come back for like the sake of the Oscar rules. But I, I'm surprised that they're thinking about that with Netflix because you know who cares? It's coming. It's coming to Netflix. I mean, I I don't see that being the is same. The color purple going to Netflix. I could be absolutely wrong about that, by the way. I thought it was. I, I, I might just not realize. Color purple. To the Google. To the Googs. You might be right there. I've been wrong about that movie a lot, though. Someone said it was coming out in January in one of the trailers, so. Yeah, I'm not seeing Netflix. Wow. What, I must have just had some sort of tongue-tied thing. You know what I'm probably thinking of? And it's weird. I'm thinking of Coleman Domingo, who's coming out with Rustin. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. So, and that's coming out on Netflix, and that's getting released in October, just in time, baby. Give Coleman that nom, baby. Give Coleman that nom. Yeah. So, it, like you said, it's going to be interesting. It's funny. Our next story is going to kind of get into it, but you're going to start seeing some studios jockeying uh, and moving stuff around to take advantage of some of these movies that are moving. Um, yeah. So, we'll just keep an eye on that. But it, it it does. You said it earlier. It reminds me a little bit of COVID times, and that's not great. Um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, it's going to make for I, I I still don't know what this Oscar season is going to look like with like not only like not being able to promote that's one thing for business and box office and everything, but not being able to campaign for awards. Yeah, yeah. a part of me is excited for that in a morbid morbid way. I'd rather that everybody's getting paid and everyone's getting jobs, but there's a part of me excited for wondering, wow, like what would this look like with like people like the, the Academy just voting on performance alone, which sounds cynical, by the way, that, but that, that is unfortunately what? how it's done. And um, it would be interesting to see just flat performance alone. Oppenheimer, all the Oscars. Let's talk about our next story here. And this is uh, my most one of my most anticipated of the fall because I love this horror series. They get so stupid, but they are just always fun. Um, I mean, it's torture porn. So it's, oh, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, it was announced this past week that Lionsgate is moving Saw 10, Saw X, uh, up a month to September 29th. And analysts are saying that that shows confidence in the movie. Um, and they want it because they're going to want it to like ride into Halloween time yeah. and all that. September release is a good horror. Like, I think it did that where, you know, yep. they started in September and that was able to skate right through all of October as well. Yeah. 
Um, so we also got some new details about this. Tobin Bell, who is, you know, the the main character of all all the movies in some way, um, but died in like four or something. <laughs> I think some... he, he sort of officially died in like two. Like, yeah really... oh yeah because it was flashbacks and but yeah, the, becomes, the yeah. first like five films all play with time and uh so will this one because spoilers uh the tag for this is john kramer is back and it's the untold chapter of jigsaw's final games set between the events of saw one and two a sick and desperate john travels to mexico for a risky and experimental medical procedure in hopes of a miracle cure for his cancer only to discover that the entire operation is a scam to defraud the most vulnerable. The infamous serial killer returns to his work, turning the tables on the con artist in his signature visceral way through devious, deranged, and ingenious traps. So I love that. Big pharma. <laughs> <laughs> people are going to be down for that. <laughs> but I mean, that's also, there was, people argue with me about this all the time, and I get it because it's Saul. But the original Saul, the premise of it, has been based on a really interesting idea yeah. of a guy that sees a broken system and sees people that are taking advantage of others and you know plays with plays games with them if you will um but i'm super excited for this i i really i love these i remember when i was in college um we like every year we would see one of them when they were in theaters and that was just it was just fun it was this just is gonna be tricky for me because i've only seen the first saw and then also spiral and so um that's gonna be and, and a little bit of Saw too as well. I mean, I think the, the, like you said with college, these were kind of just like playing in the background of yeah. room movies. <laughs> and so you would just like catch in, see a little bit. I'm like, oh, Jigsaw died too. Like, just, <laughs> we keep moving. And that's a good clarification too, that Spiral was separate from all this. Spir yeah. Spiral is from the Book of Saw and now they're going back to the well with the original storyline. So I'm and, and Tobin Bell is a master in these movies. So I'm right. excited. This is taking place between one and two, right? Like I, that's what I've heard as well. So I mean, there's a part of me that it, like has an issue with numericals when like uh, it's called Saw Ten, but it's taking place after the first one. Fine, go Jesus ahead. Christ. I I know, I know. Um, oh, back to trailers for a moment. Uh, did you see the Exorcist uh, uh, trailer? The new Exorcist trailer? No, I did not. It's scary as hell, dude. That's there, one, I'm um, zero bringing trailer. back Ellen Burstyn and Linda Blair. Yeah. And, oh boy! Uh, like it's David Gordy Green, so he's gonna fuck this up like he did Halloween. But please don't say that because Halloween was really fucked up. <laughs> I'm a little bit bummed out, but yeah, <laughs> evil dies tonight. Oh god! Um, all right, last story here is one that I think a lot of people. I, I'm expecting a movie of this at some point. Um, but what was most interesting was who said who made the comments about this and where they said it. Um, at San Diego Comic Con, Fast X director Louis Leterrier. Uh, said that he is very interested in making a Fortnite movie. Um, and I've been wondering about this for the longest time because it, it reminds me sort of of the Lego movie where there's so many properties that are involved in the game, similar to so many different types of Legos. How do you bring them all under one roof? And I think that there's it's going to take a very talented filmmaker to, to crack that. Um, but basically what Leterrier said was that he thinks there's a lot of, a lot of characters that can be played with, um, a lot of humor that can be there and that it would be something fun that he would like to do. Uh, I think it's inevitable that we're going to get a Fortnite movie at some point, but is this something that you would expect from this guy? Oh God. I mean, I, I, I don't see, I, I, you, you are rationalizing this in the best way. I can't see this as a reality. Like I, you know, there, I don't know how you do a movie like this because aren't there like characters from all over? And so I think IP. But that's what I was saying. Like the Lego was the same way. Lego was the same way. It, it, that's true. With especially with the um, 
with the uh, yeah the Batman and the DC stuff and everything. Um, yeah, but what that had going for it was it was under the same umbrella. So exactly. but, like there's there's something so tricky about something like this where like do you make another movie that's self-aware and you know that like you know like Barbie or the Lego movie where you're aware of the presence of these toys. And I think that's how these movies have worked because both the Lego movie and Barbie worked for being the self-aware thing. But you know, Mattel has announced like 40 projects with toys and everything. And so are they going to do that for every single one? And is that eventually going to get a little bit annoying where you're self-aware and you're aware of the toy? This is a video game, not a toy. So it's a little bit different, I guess. But like, are, I, I don't know how exactly you, you do this in like a Deadpool fascination where you're aware that some, like people are watching this kind of movie. Am I? Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally with you. It's, I think logistically it's going to be a challenge. I think if they pull it off, it's going to be something that is going to be very popular because of the just the the hold that the game has on people on well this will be super mario brothers level like billion dollars instantly and so you know it's a smart business move i just don't know how you conceptualize it um i just want to add one more thing of news with uh christopher nolan um saying he's interested in a bond it's barely news but what would you how would you feel about that now Um, it's funny because i i i would like that a lot i think he would be really good with bonds i struggle when there's a different director for every bond movie yeah I think Nolan was great with the Dark Knight trilogy because he was able to control it, even though I don't love the third movie. He was able to control it, and you know it was his his baby. Um, when you start taking larger uh, properties like this that are as well-defined and well-loved as James Bond is, thinking about Star Wars, and you divvy them up to different filmmakers, yeah. um, I don't, I don't know that that works. Now, on the other side of it, you have Barbara Broccoli and her team, who uh, I always want to say her name. Um, you have Barbara Broccoli and her team who are like the, the gatekeepers of James Bond, so they wouldn't let anything go too south there, but um, or too different, I should say. But I'm, I'm interested. And I'm worried like they'd have their finger in the project a lot, where you know I think Nolan works best when he's alone. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. just so- Which is totally what WB did. WB was like, we need to move, we need to reinvent Batman here. Um, because you know, the last time was Batman and Robin and what are we going to do? Bring in the guy that has a disdain for superhero movies and (laughs) you got, you got your three best Batmans right there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Would be, uh, it would be interesting to see. I, I sometimes when directors say this stuff, I feel like it's a beyond casual, casual comment. I, it's fun to think about. It will probably most likely a 90% never happen. Well, that's not what I was saying. I I was saying when they, when people, (laughs) When people float that stuff, I sometimes I'm like, mm, it's maybe already in the works. So those conversations or something. Oh, other way then. That's, That's the other way. I think about okay, it. okay. I like I like your thinking there. I don't know why I'm getting the that style. But... Uh, all right, all right. Okay, I like your thinking. <laughs> oh Jesus! There's me off. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, this week we have Haunted Mansion on Friday. Talk to me on Friday. Theater Camp on Friday. Very interested to hear your thoughts on those, and we can cover all three of them next week. Um, Trying to think this week. I'm I'm seeing Gran Turismo. I'm seeing Theater Camp. I'm seeing a very early in theater screening of Red, White, and Royal Blue. I can't <laughs> You're wait. Walking down the red carpet, meeting like I mean, with the strike, you're just going to be meeting like the director and like the boom mic operators. But I don't. No, it's not. It's nothing like. It's something like that. It's just a screening. It's like, <laughs> like <laughs> you got an in theater screening to a movie that probably won't be in theaters yeah it's an in-theater screening but it's uh it's before the social embargo lifts and everything which would be cool to get some thoughts out there but i'm very excited about that movie um follow us on all socials and follow us on threads sean go do yard work or whatever you have to do
<laughs> you know I got stuff. You definitely have stuff. Sam has a list for you. Oh, boy. She's an Oppenheimer right now, so I'm set. She's what? She's an Oppenheimer right now. So Is she really? Yeah. Why didn't she go with you guys? She had work yesterday. <laughs> Maybe Just I wasn't sure. a good husband for going with my dad instead. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to you. Bye. The Guy at the Movies podcast is a joint venture between Math Teacher Movies and Guy at the Movies. You can catch new episodes weekly right here wherever you're listening to this one. Subscribe so you never miss a beat.